Welcome to the Finding Gravitas podcast, brought to you by Gravitas Detroit. Looking to become a more authentic leader? Finding Gravitas is the podcast for you. Gravitas is the ultimate leadership quality that draws people in. It's an irresistible force encompassing all the traits of authentic leadership. Join your podcast host, Jan Griffiths, that passionate, rebellious farmer's daughter from Wales, entrepreneur, leadership coach, keynote speaker, one of the top 100 leading women in the automotive industry, as she interviews some of the finest leadership minds in the quest for Gravitas. Here we go. Season two of the Finding Gravitas podcast is ready to go. We've got some great guests lined up for you, and I'll give you a sneak peek into who they are in just a moment. But first, I wanted to pull together, thread together all the things that certainly I've learned from the interviews in season one. And I developed a document. It's called the 21 Traits of Authentic Leadership. And if you'd like to get a copy, just email me at jan at gravitasdetroit.com. I'll be happy to share. I wanted to run through these before we really set our mindset and get focused and ready on season two. Trait number 21 is resilience. All authentic leaders show a tremendous amount of resilience, the ability to adapt and bounce back when things don't go as planned. And you know, in the accountability lab this morning, uh, we actually have had a couple of instances where we've had to show resilience with tech issues. And just uh, this weekend, I recorded into the wrong channel and blew the entire uh, episode. It's, it's not, you know what they say, it's not what happens to you in life, it's how you deal with it. And that goes back actually to communication and how you talk to yourself in your head. So resilience, I've noticed that all authentic leaders have a tremendous amount of resilience, and they don't dwell on the past. So you know how some people, they talk about the past and what happened and how bad it was. Authentic leaders don't do that. They may recognize it as a data point, but they will learn from it and move on. Number 20 is cognitive diversity. Authentic leaders know how to, first of all, hire a diverse team, but more importantly, they know how to make that team operate in an inclusive way. And let me explain what I mean by that. So something that I've learned recently is the, the power and the benefit of that quiet person on the team. Because often we tend to think that if somebody is quiet in the room, they're perhaps shy and reserved and they don't have an opinion. And that couldn't be more wrong. I've learned that a great leader knows how to encourage all voices on the team to feel safe and to bring their opinion forward. Cognitive diversity is not, it's not just diversity of either age or race. It's about different, bringing in different thoughts into the process. And after all, that's how we're going to get really creative and foster innovation. And great leaders know how to do this. They, they'll recognize that quiet person or that person that um, isn't quite ready to speak up. 19 is supportive and coaching leadership style. Authentic leaders have more of a supportive servant leadership style. They may have to bring out command and control in certain situations. I'm not going to deny that. But for the most part, they know how to make people feel supportive and really unleash that potential that we have in all of us. But great leaders know how to nurture that and how to support people and make that happen. And they also know that there's no cookie cutter approach to this. So there's not a one size fits all. Um, it doesn't work that way because every human being is different. And they require a different touch point, a different way of encouraging, of motivating. And great leaders know how to sort of tune into that. It's more of a serve first mindset. And they're focused on empowering and uplifting. 
facts, so they're very inspirational. They're not uh, the kind of leader that says, okay, these are your metrics, these are the objectives, this is what I want, I'm going to have a review with you every month or every quarter, and if there's two quarters of bad results, you're out of here. That's, that's not very inspirational. Of course, they recognize the need to drive accountability, and they have metrics, because we all need metrics, but they do it in a very supportive coaching way. And then when people fail, because if you give somebody the authority to do something that perhaps they're not used to doing, but they need it for their own growth and they fail, the authentic leader will help the person through that experience, coaching them through what they learned and what they didn't learn and telling them that it's okay to fail. It's okay. It's They create that safe environment. 18 is focus on long-term results. This one is hard. And I like the way Simon Sinek talks about this. And to use his quote, he says, leaders who embrace an infinite mindset build stronger, more innovative, and more inspiring organizations. An example of that would be Warren Buffett. When I interviewed Don Akery from TTI in uh, season one, actually the very first episode in season one, he explains that Warren Buffett doesn't expect you to have these monthly operations reviews where you you sort of, you know, you, you have to go to corporate or present to corporate and you have to explain every single variance. In Warren Buffett's mind, he said, when you do that, you may force the organization to do something, and to use his term, unnatural, that would cause you to course correct if you have a short-term focus for the month or the quarter and not stay true to the long-term goals. So authentic leaders understand that there's a long-term goal out there and it's going to take twists and turns and ups and downs to get there, but they stay true to that long-term goal. That's a hard one to practice. 17 is energy. You know I love this one. Positive energy. Positive energy is so infectious. And we all have the power to change the room. You know it. You know if you walk into a room with the right mindset and the right energy level that you can change the room. So if the room is perhaps down or miserable or people are bitching and moaning and you walk in there with a positive attitude, you can change that. Imagine a world if we all did that, how much better it would be. And we can do it in virtual just as well as we could do it in person. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, he says that he's looking for two things when he's recruiting people. He's looking for clarity and energy. He wants clarity of purpose and clarity of uh, communication. He wants people to be able to communicate clearly what they want and how they're going to go about doing it. But the second thing that he looks for is energy. He wants people to have the right energy. You know there's people out there that have that toxic energy. They can ruin a culture. They can take down a culture. And then what do you do when you have one of these toxic personalities? Most people would say, well, I would you know, give them an opportunity to improve. And then if they don't improve, then I would have to take them out of the organization. Yeah, but most of us know that a lot of leaders today don't actually follow through with that last step and they end up moving them around the organization and that's all you do when you do that is you spread that toxic nature into another department. So it's often a hard action to take, but taking out toxic employees is always the right thing to do. But back to the positive side. Energy is something that I have learned 
to manage. Much better, now that I've left the corporate world, I tend to work in line with my energy. So in the morning, my energy is at its strongest, it's at its best, I'm in peak condition. And that's probably because I start my day with the accountability lab and I work out and I run and I do all these things that sort of help me get my mind in the right place. So my mindset is right. So I take on the big important tasks right away in the morning when my energy is in the right place. Because like most people, it starts to wane in the afternoon. So then that's when I would do more of perhaps um, social media follow-up, emails, uh, organization tasks, those kinds of things. And I find that works really well. 16 is mindset. Well, I've learned a lot about that, particularly during the pandemic, because when the pandemic hit, my mindset was certainly not that positive mindset that I usually are able to maintain every single day. And when the pandemic started, I found myself getting out of bed, hitting the, well, actually not getting out of bed, hitting the snooze, not wanting to get out of bed. And my mind was just thrashing. You know how sometimes they say that uh, computers thrash, which means they're, they're operating, but they're not actually doing anything. So my mind was just spinning. And there was some fear, of course. I found myself watching um, the TV, watching the news channels. And then I thought, oh, I've got to do something about this. This is not the growth mindset that I want for myself. And then I'm a role model to my daughter, so I certainly don't want her falling into the same mindset. So I started the accountability clinic. And I, I wasn't really sure what I was doing, to be perfectly honest. But I launched this group of people. I threw it out there on social media and I said, okay, if anybody else is having trouble the same way that I am, then join me for a Zoom call and we'll figure it out together. We'll figure out how to hold each other accountable and keep moving forward in this pandemic. And that's what we did. And we ended up with a simple little formula. We make a commitment for one work task, you know, the thing that you push off, uh, you're likely to procrastinate on. Then something personal. So it could be yoga or running or spending time with the family or the dog, you know, whatever it is for you. And then one word to describe our mindset. And the whole idea was just to keep moving forward, to keep making improvements, stay productive, and to support each other when we really didn't feel like it. And it worked really well. We are uh, right now, as of podcast release date, we're on week 32. When I started it, I had no idea that it was going to last 32 weeks. But creating that supportive environment, you know, when you hear the word accountability, sometimes you, you picture somebody yelling at you saying, I'm going to hold you accountable. That's not it. It's accountability in the most positive way. We've created a community of support. And then I changed the name to Accountability Lab because a clinic seemed to be a place that you go to for help. And a lab is somewhere where you play around with different things and different ideas. And that's what we do. So I learned a lot about mindset and how important it is to start your day with the right mindset if you want to be successful. And great leaders know the importance of this. And I love uh, Tony Robbins' quote um, for mindset. He says, most people fail in life because they major in the minor things. And that's true. And his other famous quote is, where focus goes, energy flows. So getting that focus on the right things at the right time. It sounds so simple, right? But it's hard because we talk ourselves out of things. We give ourselves excuses all the time. But that's why I love this group in the morning. It's a little bit of help and support and off we go. And then we report back the next day. And sometimes we fail and it's all okay. There's no judgment. Uh, we're all transparent with each other. And we keep moving forward. So that's mindset. 15 is kindness. When we think of great leaders, we don't often think of kindness as being a trait. But it most definitely is. Great leaders focus on intentionally 
being kind, especially to team members and key stakeholders and customers. And researchers found that kindness encourages increased health and increased emotional well-being. Who would have ever thought? Because we release a hormone called serotonin, which generates a feeling of calmness and can even boost self-esteem. And sometimes we think that, you know, great leaders have to be tough and they have to be seen to be tough all the time. And really, that's not true. They have to be seen to be confident and comfortable within their own skin. But they also have to show kindness and warmth. Kindness and warmth accelerate trust. And we need more trust in our teams and our organizations so that we can get away from the wasted toxic energy and the time that we spent emailing hundreds of people, not hundreds, that's an exaggeration, but those emails where we copy 20 people because we're trying to show, you know, that we know something or that we're right, or or we're just trying to cover our tracks because we're afraid somebody's going to come back at us for something. You know, there's not much trust when you're doing things like that. So kindness is a way to really start to accelerate trust. 14 is trust. Would seem logically that we would move from kindness to trust. Trust is unique to everyone because it's a feeling. It's very difficult to define trust, but you know it when you meet somebody if you trust them. And there is a bottom line impact to trust. And I know that's hard sometimes to get your mind around. And if you want to research trust in more detail, I would highly recommend the work of Stephen Covey, The Speed of Trust. He says simply this, there is a relationship between trust, cost, and speed. And the best example of this is if you think about somebody that you trust, think about that communication process. What does that look like? What does it feel like? It's a shorter process. And then consider the person you don't trust. I bet you you spent a lot more time thinking about how you're going to communicate to that person, the method that you're going to communicate. Maybe you're more likely to put it in email than have a a Zoom call or a face-to-face. When you don't have trust, things go much slower. And imagine if you have a culture where you really don't have trust, then everybody is doing the same thing. So imagine if you increase trust amongst your team members, what that could do to the bottom line results for the business. You're moving closer now to a high-performance team. Building alliances with stakeholders. We know the power of building alliances with stakeholders. When we start to generate trust, those alliances become stronger and we're able to operate in an entirely different realm than if we don't have trust. Trust is the foundation of psychological safety. And you've heard me say this many, many times in the season one interviews. I love the Google Project Aristotle findings. They found that the number one trait of high-performance teams is psychological trust. When people trust each other, they're They're open. They're not afraid to put their voice forward, their opinions forward. Much more likely to have open, constructive conflict. Yes, it is possible to have constructive conflict and still respect each other and still maintain a good relationship. That's when a team is moving into the high-performance realm. Take a moment and think about your team. Are you there yet? 13 is vulnerability. Vulnerability is not to be confused with being weak. When we think of showing vulnerability, we think of, we often think of weakness. And that's not what it's about. But it is difficult to find the right balance. How vulnerable should you be as a leader? Because after all, A leader has to provide calm to the chaos and has to provide confidence to the team that they know what they're doing, we're going in the right direction, particularly in a pandemic. It is possible to do that and still show vulnerability. Vulnerability doesn't mean 
you would get into a new job or get in a call and say, well, I really have no idea what I'm doing right now, but I'll find a way forward. Mm, That's not vulnerability. Vulnerability could be, okay, this is an unprecedented situation. We don't have a playbook for this. We are going to stay tight as a team. I am going to share all the information I have as soon as I get it. We'll have full transparency. And together, we will find a way forward and make the right decisions for this business. That shows some level of vulnerability, but also provides calm and confidence for the team. The expert in this area is Brene Brown. And I love uh, her quote. She says, staying vulnerable is a risk we have to take if we want to experience connection. If you want to connect with a human being, and we all need to have that connection with our teams, then showing some level of vulnerability is good. We had a great opportunity to do this, particularly in the beginning of the pandemic, to connect one-on-one with people as human beings and talk about things like, well, I don't even know where I'm going to get toilet paper from because Costco was out. And where are the Lysol wipes coming from? And my spouse is going crazy with me working from home and on and on and on and on. You know, there's some things about what's been happening in our world right now that we can connect with other human beings on. That's vulnerability. Twelve, ownership, responsibility, and accountability. The best leaders stay true to the mission and vision and they take ownership for anything that occurs on that journey. They're not the kind of people that try to push it off on another function or try to say, well, I couldn't, you know, achieve my goals because the customer didn't respond or the supply base didn't do what they were supposed to do or blame it on somebody else. They don't blame The best leaders are responsible for the quality and the success of the output. They create a no-blame, no-excuses culture. One of the best examples of this, a no-blame culture, is the culture at United Wholesale Mortgage. And I was fortunate enough to interview Laura Lawson, the Chief People Officer, and Renee Harmon, their VP of Leadership Development. And it's one of their core principles They have thumb pointer culture, not finger pointer culture. So what that means is it's very much a positive, uh, motivational, thumbs up, pointer kind of culture than it is point the finger and blame somebody kind of culture. And I think that often we don't talk about this in the corporate world. When we see behaviors that fall in line with the blame culture, you know, we spend a lot of energy either creating it or responding to it. And I've noticed that in a couple of the roles that I've been in. Sometimes if somebody is pointing the finger, particularly in a supply chain role, pointing the finger at the supply base, um, spending time and energy and cost trying to defend a position Whereas really, if we would just sit around the table together and acknowledge the facts, whether they were right or wrong, and it doesn't matter which function is, I hate to say to blame, but was is at fault or has failed, if indeed they have failed, but to be able to get around the table and have a meaningful dialogue without fear of all this finger pointing and blame. And um, in Ann Carter's interview, she talked about the gotcha game where in the corporate environment, sometimes we like to say, aha, see, I knew you were wrong, gotcha. And that really doesn't do anybody any good. So the best leaders really, they take ownership, they take responsibility, they don't play the blame games. Winston Churchill says, the price of greatness is responsibility. And I like that a lot. And I also look to Navy SEAL leadership for a quote in this area. And this is from Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL. He wrote the book, Extreme Ownership. And he says, leaders must own everything in their world. There is no one else to blame. Number 11, consistency. This is something I struggle with because I tend to live in the creative visionary realm. 
And I like learning new things. I like trying new things. And for me, this idea of cadence and consistency is hard. I've struggled with it all my career, and I'll continue to struggle with it. It's just not something I'm particularly good at. But authentic leaders are consistent. They're stable. You know, they give people that sense of, of safety and security because they establish a cadence. Uh, whether it's their behavior or whether it's uh, the meetings that they schedule, their agendas, that's not to say they don't ever change and recognize opportunities for improvement, but they provide stability anchors to the team and the environment, and they explain inconsistencies. John Maxwell says, small disciplines repeated with consistency every day lead to great achievements gained slowly over time. And I've learned that to be true. The one thing I am consistent with is the accountability lab, because obviously we open that call at 6.30 every morning and it's my call, so I have to be on it. And uh, I've learned that I can see the benefits to consistency. It's just hard for me. 10 is empowerment. There was a point in time I had a boss who told me that I trusted my people too much. And I didn't quite know how to respond to that because I knew deep down inside that empowering people is one of the strengths of great leadership to be able to support them and help them, inspire them so that they can grow and take on challenges. That's what empowerment is, where people can feel safe to step up into their full capability and potential. And empowered team members can do can accomplish so much more than people who feel downtrodden and feel like they have to go to seven different approval levels and they're afraid to make a decision in case they get their head taken off. So I believe very much in empowerment and I practiced it. But it's it's really interesting that other people view that as I trusted my team too much. Can you trust people too much? Probably. You know, if you just let people go um, and sit back and not do anything, then yes. So there is a balance between letting people go, but making sure that they're still on the right track and headed in the right direction. Um, and holding people accountable, but that has more to do with inspiring people to achieve a goal as a team than it does micromanaging people. Nobody likes a micromanager. Uh, Bill Gates says, as we look ahead into the next century, leaders will be those who empower others. And so I haven't changed. I'm, st I'm still very much a firm believer in empowerment, uh, regardless what other people say or may think. Nine is transparency. And authentic leaders, they strive for open communication at all levels. Now, sometimes, of course, there's issues of confidentiality they have to manage, but they don't, they're not into gamesmanship. And sometimes when you're in a meeting, uh, people will say, oh, well, let's, let's tell the employees this, or let's tell the customers this, or let's tell the suppliers that. People can see right through it. If you're not being transparent and, quite frankly, authentic, if you're not coming from a good place, people sense that. You're not really fooling anybody. Now, I'm not suggesting that you share everything with everybody. Of course not. But transparency really comes back in a very positive way. And uh, one of our guests on season two is Tim Fiore. And he talks a lot about transparency and being open with his stakeholders and his suppliers to the point that it's, it's quite shocking. But he knows that it's the right thing to do. And he is the CPO of Ryder. So uh, I'm pretty sure it's meant uh, success for him and is indeed a key trait of a successful leader. Jack Welsh says, trust happens when leaders are transparent. Eight is communication. When a leader provides clarity, and understands the complexity 
of communication, then they can be really successful. And I will tell you, I've learned more about communication in the last two years than ever before in my um, time in the corporate world. And the one thing I've learned is this, that people learn and take on information in different ways. Some people prefer visual, they like video. Others prefer audio, uh, maybe a podcast or a recording. And others like to read, so they like to see the written word. And it's, it's really, again, no, it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. So recognizing that different people need different forms and different modes of communication. If I were to go back into the corporate world right now, I would do it differently. This is something I've learned in the last two years. I would either record a video message every single week, and it wouldn't be produced it wouldn't, you know, it's not something that we would hire a production company to do and we'd have a big, you know, marketing involvement. No, it would be internal. It would be me speaking into probably my iPhone and it would just be a message for the week, either uh, talking about some accomplishments or recognition, some events that were going on uh, in the company that week. It doesn't have to be this massive scripted type of um, production. I would absolutely do that or I would produce a podcast where I would put my thoughts on leadership. And then recognizing and reinforcing those behaviors that support the team brand. That's what I would be talking about. Because it's, it is the behaviors of people on teams that destroy a culture. It's not the skill set and the content and the metrics. It is how people feel about themselves and each other that destroys the culture or the other side to that makes a high performing team. So I would be talking a lot more about the behaviors that support the team brand that I wanted to see in an organization. Seven is listening skills. I will tell you. I think it was about the 2010 timeframe, I had a 360 survey. So the company went out to various stakeholders and asked um, a bunch of questions about me as a leader and listening skills. Um, that was part of the question, the survey. And the response came back and I did not like the results. Now, if you'd asked me at the time, I would have thought that I was a great listener. Oh, I always listen to my people, whatever you know, whatever they want to talk about, I'm here for them, open door policy, blah, blah, blah. And I really believe that. And then the feedback that I got was that I wasn't a very good listener. So this is what I learned. And again, self-awareness, as you know, is something that's, that's a key supporting value of an authentic leader. But one thing that I've learned about listening skills, and this is, this is what I, I did, Somebody would start to talk to me about something, an idea, or uh, initiate the conversation. I would be so excited about the idea and want to take it to the next step or uh, talk about it. I would jump in right away. I wouldn't necessarily talk over them. I'd wait for that, that, you know, that split second where they took a breath or a pause, and I would use that and jump in. And I didn't give the person time to really explain and articulate their idea. And I thought I was listening and I was being productive. And I was not. I clearly was not listening. The person I was talking to needed to explain their idea and get it out the way they wanted to, not the way that I thought it should be done and that it was my turn to say, okay, I got it. Let's do this. Let's go. No, 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 no. So practicing that type of listening is not easy. I'm a much better listener now than I was before, but I have to tell you that was a horrific moment. I was horrified when I got that feedback, but it helped me to improve. So self-awareness, getting feedback brings these blind spots into focus so that we can do something about it. And Stephen Covey says, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And that's so true. Six is honesty and integrity. 
Authentic leaders have an unquestionable level of integrity and strength of character. And they're examples for other people, how they live their lives, not just how they lead in the business world, but it's, it's who they are as individuals. They don't say things that they don't mean, and they earn respect, and they always stay true to their word. And they practice personal accountability because that really becomes a hallmark of their personal brand. Brene Brown says, integrity is choosing courage over comfort, choosing what is right over what is fun, fast, or easy, and choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them. And that's, you know, that's, okay, that's a nice quote, but sometimes practicing that can be difficult. If you're in a situation that you're talking to somebody that you need, either they're your boss who controls your paycheck or somebody that you need at work to help you be successful, to be completely transparent and honest sometimes is hard because you don't want to upset them, right? But what I found is if you're really coming from a good place and you're really coming from that place of authenticity and you want to help the situation, To disagree with somebody or to say no to somebody, as long as you're coming from a good place, people sense that and they're much more receptive to it. And that's much better than just ignoring it and just, you know, continuing the conversation. So having the courage to do that, I think, is often tricky. But I think it's something that we all work towards. I know for me, it's um, something that I work with every day to make sure that, yes, I put my opinion forward, but it's in a respectful way. Five is heart-first leadership. Authentic leaders lead from the heart. They are comfortable in their own skin, and they lead with, with a sense of warmth and a sense of compassion and empathy. And they're willing to drop the F-bomb. And the F-bomb is not what you're thinking. The F-bomb is they're not afraid to ask people how they feel about things. And great leaders know how to do that. It's Again, it's not a sign of weakness. In my early days in my career, if you'd asked somebody how they felt about their objectives or the numbers, you would have been viewed as weak and not leadership material. But the tables have turned completely, completely. Great leaders know how to nurture compassion and emotional intelligence so they can connect with people at a very, very deep level. Four is self-awareness. It all starts with self-awareness. As Gary Vaynerchuk says, when you know who you are, everything changes. And I would say that I personally am working with this every single day of my life. I've certainly in the last couple of years realized who I am. And as many of you know, I talk about stripping away the corporate mask and not trying to assimilate into a culture and be who they want me to be, but to be myself. But again, you know, that's easily said and not so easily practiced, right? I don't know that you're ever going to work for a company where you can be 100% truly authentic. You can get close. And as human beings, we strive every day to live our lives in line with our values. And certainly the last couple of years, I've come much closer to that, um, doing what I absolutely love to do. And it starts with self-awareness, being honest with yourself, and then getting feedback from other people. Three is celebrating success. We don't do enough of this. We really talk about and focus on problems when we have problems. But when we have a success, we should never let that opportunity go by to celebrate. Whether it's an individual success, personal or team, we should always celebrate the success. It motivates and inspires people. It motivates and inspires the team. It doesn't have to be a costly thing. You know, it doesn't have to be an award or a complicated awards program, but we should 
always recognize and celebrate success and make sure that we give credit to others consistently. Great leaders really know how to do that. Mia Hamm, I love her quote, her thinking in this area. She says, celebrate what you've accomplished, but raise the bar a little higher each time you succeed. And to my female listeners, I will tell you as mothers and role models to our children, this is something that we're, I don't think we're very good at doing. When there is a success, and I've seen this with women I know who have achieved high levels within an organization, the last thing on their mind when they achieved that position was to celebrate that with the family. When you've got young children growing up, they need to see you as the role model, as a success, and they need to know what success looks like and feels like. Celebrating success is important to all of us, whether it's personal or professional. Two is vision and purpose. Oh, this is where I love to live. I love, 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 love bringing a team of people together and really getting into the details of vision and purpose. So often in the business world, we start, we'd start moving forward fast on the numbers and the metrics that we have to achieve. And yes, that's important. But there has to be something bigger. Over 70% of millennials say that they only want to work with a company whose mission and values resonate with them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I started my career, I couldn't care less about that. I just wanted a job. I wanted a career. I wanted money. And I wanted to get up the career ladder as quickly as possible. I didn't really care what they made or why they did it. I've changed now. Um since those early days, but certainly millennials and Gen Z will not work for a company that's all about just producing a widget and ROI. They're not prepared to spend the currency of their lives in a company that's just all about ROI. It has to be both. So really working with teams to define that vision and getting everybody's ideas and being bought into the process, something that will guide the team, will guide the brand, the team brand, will guide the behavior, becomes a guiding light for the culture. And there's, there's lots of great examples out there. Um, one of the great examples I love is Starbucks because they don't say they want to produce coffee or be the world-class supplier of coffee. They want to nurture the human spirit one cup at a time. It's a very, very different vibe than a company that just wants to sell coffee. So I think there's, there's a lot of work here that we all have to do to understand how our businesses and our teams connect to a bigger purpose, connect to them emotionally, and then as a leader, we have to galvanize the team around that mission and develop our why. I love the work of Simon Sinek around developing our why. And he says, great leaders must have two things, a vision of the world that does not yet exist and the ability to communicate that vision clearly. So if you're ever thinking that you just got to get straight into the day-to-day business and you push off that team meeting that you've been thinking about having to really talk about vision and purpose, don't have it. Now's the time to have it. Now's the perfect time to have that, that uh, meeting, whether it's off-site or virtual. And then number one, of course, I'm sure you can guess this, the number one trait is gravitas. When you roll all of that together, and I'm sure there are more traits out there, but you roll it all together, you get somebody who's comfortable in their own skin, they're skilled at making human connections, they nurture trust and transparency. At every turn, they have given themselves permission to lead from the heart in line with their values. Then that leader is somebody who leads with gravitas. A gravitas, again, is very difficult to describe. It's a feeling, it's an emotional response you get when you meet a real leader. 
And that's what my mission is all about. It's getting to this hallmark of authentic leadership, which is gravitas. Those are the 21 traits of authentic leaders that I've discovered through season one. And now we start to get into season two. So here we go. First up on our interview list is Fred Lowry. Fred is a senior VP and president of the Life Science Solutions and Lab Products for Thermo Fisher Scientific. That's a mouthful. That's a big title. As if that's not enough, he is also on the board of directors for DuPont. Fred was right on the front lines uh, during the pandemic, and he shares some great stories about things that he's learned, things that his company has been able to do under his leadership in the pandemic that otherwise perhaps might not have happened. So Fred will be our first interview. Then we're going to Clint Bruce. What a character. This guy is a Navy SEAL special warfare officer. He's also an NFL pro football player and an entrepreneur. And what a character. You want to talk about somebody who's comfortable in their own skin? You wait until you meet Clint Bruce. For those of you who follow season one, you might remember that Todd Ballard, the CMO from GoPro, talked about bringing in Clint Bruce into the GoPro organization. So that led me to Clint and he graciously um, accepted to do the interview. Then after Clint, we're going to go to Alid Miles. Alid Miles is the CEO of Source Labs. He is an information technology exec and an internet security expert. He's the guy that's often called upon to talk about internet security on the various business news channels. He is also Welsh and has recently been appointed as a Welsh government envoy to the United States. There's quite a story there with Alid, and uh, you can hear all about that in his interview. One of the reasons that I wanted Alid, I know you're thinking, okay, probably because he's Welsh, right? Well, yeah, of course, that was part of it. But also because his entire career He has grown his career and he's progressed to the highest levels in the technology sector. And I love being able to bring interviews from people with different industries and different environments and cultures so that we can learn from those leaders. Then we're going to Tim Fiore. I know a few people that have worked for Tim Fiore, and they absolutely love working for Tim Fiore. I mean, he's got such a following out there. Tim Fiore is the chief procurement officer for Ryder. He's got a lot of business experience. He's also the chair of the Institute for Supply Management Manufacturing Business Survey Committee. So he's the guy that you'll see on CNN or Bloomberg when people are talking about the economy and economic indicators. His survey is one of the economic indicators that they normally um, research and go to. So Tim has a tremendous story to tell, and I love, love, love his leadership style. So that's it for now. Those are the episodes we have lined up. We are recording more episodes coming up in the next few weeks. So we're excited to bring these interviews to you so that you can learn from their authentic leadership journeys and the practices and behaviors that they employ on a day-to-day basis. The podcast has received a bit of an upgrade, and we have upgraded the podcast studio. We've added a Trinoff system, which uh, takes the room out of the equation. And for you audio geeks out there, you probably know what that means. I'm not entirely sure I know what it means. But I know it means that Dietrich, it, it gives Dietrich the capability to improve the sound. We also added a new Apollo audio interface, which again, I really have no idea what that does, but it means that you will get a better listening experience. So we've made some upgrades to the studio. And then you'll notice there's a new look. I have a completely new look, and I will tell you that when I cut my hair, people just didn't even recognize me. The Starbucks person who I see at least two, three times a week did not recognize me. 
And people have said, why? Why would you get away from that haircut, that black bob, which I was quite frankly known for? And here's the reason why. I talk about authentic leadership all day long. It was time to be authentic. Now, there's nothing wrong in having a nice haircut, but when you're spending two hours every three to four weeks and hundreds of dollars to maintain a haircut that you've had for almost three decades, it's time to really think about that. And I got to tell you, it was not an easy decision to change uh, my look. It was hard, but I decided to embrace the gray. And I cut my hair and embraced the gray. And so now we have a new look. And I have to say, it's very empowering and it feels great. So we've got studio upgrades. There's a new look. And as always, we want to hear from you. We want to hear if there's any content that you specifically want or any guests that you would like me to interview, please call me and let me know. The business has taken some twists and turns. Again, as an entrepreneur, I have learned a lot about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And people tell you, oh, it's a roller coaster ride. It's up and down and turns and ins and outs. And then you throw a pandemic in the middle of that. So it was tough in the beginning, um, but I, it gave me a chance to sit back and really reevaluate what my business was all about and where is it going? And the Accountability Lab was sort of a natural output of that. And now we're opening Accountability Lab number two that I'm very excited about. So I'm seeing that my business is focused on accountability and it's focused on helping teams work better together, whether it's inspiring or motivating a team to come out of 2020 and really crush their goals for 2021 or work with some teams that have some problems. It's all a learning process. It's all about incremental steps of improvement, one day at a time. And my mission is to bring you the content, the interviews, the stories that you need to give yourself permission to be that authentic leader that we all want to be, to lead that high-performance team, to feel truly fulfilled with the leadership role. That's my mission. It's the mission that I started with when we launched the podcast and I stay true to it today. It has not changed. I wish you well on your authentic leadership journey and your quest for gravitas. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and you found something of value that will help you on your quest for your gravitas, then please share with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. Visit us at gravitasdetroit.com to find out more.